You are listening to This is Oklahoma, hosted by Mike Hearn, telling stories of Oklahomans and those that have made it their home. What's up, guys? Welcome back to another episode of This is Oklahoma. Mike Hearn, you're your host, back with another episode presented by the Oklahoma Hall of Fame telling Oklahoma's story through its people since 1927. Uh, They've been awesome partners so far, and I can't wait to continue uh, the partnership for the rest of the year. Please go give them a follow at Oklahoma HOF on Instagram and all other social media, and then online uh, www.oklahomahof.com. Quick heads up for the podcast today. This was recorded a couple of weeks ago before uh, this COVID-19 pandemic, so um, just want to give you guys a heads up with some of the references that my guest makes about speaking in church and getting everybody together and hanging out in large groups. Obviously, we're not doing that now. Uh, but yeah, a real special podcast today. Uh, my pastor, Jason Smith, came on. A uh, real, really good friend of mine, not just a pastor, but um, someone who's been close to my family. And yeah, just just has a, an awesome friend and we have a special connection. We play a lot of golf together, which I'm sure you'll learn about in the next couple of uh, couple of minutes, I guess an hour of the podcast. But uh, enjoy today. Great story. Jason's came to Oklahoma City from Oregon and I won't spoil the rest. You'll get into it. So thanks for listening. We really appreciate it. Our new website is open. Uh, so if you want stickers, uh, go to the shop there. That's the best way to support us at uh, www.thisisoklahoma.media. Um, I'll stop selling you things now. Thanks so much for listening. Catch you soon. Uh, my guest today is someone who is a really good friend, had a lot of impact on me since I've been in the States. Uh, he officiated both of my weddings. Uh, same woman. Um, she's <laughs> awesome. Shout out to T. Um, and yeah, I mean, we saw him, me and T came to church on Sunday. Uh, I don't really have a huge, uh, I guess, backstory of religion in my family coming from the UK and it's not very big. But when I do come to church, it is to hear this man speak. And yesterday was one of those days. So welcome to the podcast, Mr. Jason Smith. Hey, thanks, Mike. I'm so excited to be here, man. It has been a long time trying to figure this out. In some ways, I think I'm hesitant to be interviewed because like you, yeah. I feel like most of my job is getting to know people by asking them questions. Right. So it's kind of odd to be... Um, On the other side? Yeah, with a camera in your face and a microphone. And like, yeah. I'm much more comfortable asking questions than I Same. am answering them. Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, we met, obviously, when I came to the States, played golf at SNU. And, you know, you played golf at SNU and you're the team uh, chaplain, I guess would be the yeah. right word for mm-hmm. it. Um, you know, always there to support the, support the team, hang out, have a good chat, whatever it is. And then we just come, since I graduated, just become good friends from that, haven't we? Yeah. Um, yeah. But, you know, you're a huge Oregon Ducks fan. Yeah. So born and raised in Oregon. Uh-huh. So before we dive into our friendship, because we could talk about that for hours and hours wait. on end, uh, you know, tell me about like Oregon and how you end up getting from Oregon to SNU. Yeah. So you mentioned coming to church. So I'm a pastor here in Oklahoma City. I'm the associate pastor at Oklahoma City First Church of the Nazarene, where I was an intern my senior year at Southern Nazarene University. Mm -hmm. So I've been at this church for 18 and a half years, um, which is pretty rare to have that kind of longevity in one local church as a pastor. Um, But I got here uh, because I was, I grew up in the Church of the Nazarene. The Church of the Nazarene has, oh, I think seven colleges in the USA, Canada, Mm -hmm. and um, handful of them, not all of them have golf programs. But at the time, in 1998, uh, when I was graduating high school, the best team was from Southern Nazarene University. At the time, they were ranked three in NAIA, kind of always went to nationals. Um, Pretty good team, great coach. Coach Holsey was kind of legendary Hall of Famer. Um, And I actually, um, this is a story that how I got to SNU. I wanted to play golf at Point Loma National University, which is in Pasadena. It's on the uh, beach and it's yeah, beautiful. Yeah, it's on the beach. It's right on the beach. <laughs> I always like dreamed about yeah. playing year-round golf. Um, was a pretty good golfer in high school. Um, won my region twice. Um, didn't win state as an individual. My team won state my junior year. Mm-hmm. I was pretty competitive in my area. Yeah. I wasn't a D1 player, um, but I was good enough to probably play at a D2 school or NAIA school. And yeah. I wanted to play for a Nazarene school. So Nazarene kid, wanted to go to Nazarene school and went on a... I was supposed to go on a visit to Point Loma um, for a recruiting visit, but it happened to be Super Bowl weekend uh, in San Diego. Um, And there just was um, 
there just was not a uh, hotel room to be bought. So my dad said, hey, we're going to go look at another school just so you just you can't lock into one school because mm-hmm. what if you don't like it or what if it's not for you? What if they don't want you? So we went to Oklahoma. Of all and places. Yeah, I was like, I do not want to play golf year round in Oklahoma. <laughs> yeah. We flew in. I had never seen a place so flat. I mean, I remember when we landed the plane, I was like, what? And the, there's not even a hill. I mean, it's it was probably just the same so experience flat. that I had yes, too. Like exactly. Wales and Oregon are probably very close together. Yeah. So I was, one. I was kind of um, blown away by it. I remember I saw um, gasoline for 68 cents. Um, and I was just, that was, I took a picture of it. Um, but my recruiting visit was, was incredible. Mm-hmm. Um, stayed with Damian Mitchell, who I'm still friends with today, still golf with today once a year on a kind of a, this big con- golf outing we called mm-hmm. dad prom. Um, and Damien was an incredible host. I had so much fun and coach Holsey was inspiring and a great recruiter and wanted me on the team. And I just had it in great experience. Um, mm-hmm. not even around golf, but just campus life. I loved just how I saw the campus interact with one another. Yeah. And there was a culture there that really excited me. And then I went to Point Loma on my recruiting visit and was like, oh, if SNU was this good, how good is Point Loma going to be? But the coach of Point Loma really wasn't interested in having me on the team. He didn't really have a lot of scholarship spots left. And all they talked about was the view, the view, the view, the view. And I was like, yeah, I love the beach, but I think that college needs to be more than about just location. Yeah. Um, And so I got home. I was like, man, no question. I'm going to go play golf at SNU. They want me. I love the culture. Super mm-hmm. excited. Signed my letter of intent. Um, pictures in the paper. I came from a really small town called Ontario, Oregon, which is about 10,000 people or so. Signed my letter of intent. Um, super pumped to go. Yeah. And the next week, the week after I signed my letter of intent, I got a notice from Point Loma that I'd received a full ride scholarship. Oh, you're kidding for me. For all four years. See, oh, I didn't know that. I cared much more about golf, but yeah. I was about the tournament in my high school. I had a bunch of service hours, um, had pretty good scores on the, some of those tests. And I remember getting it and having to check no. Like, no, I'm not accepting a Fulbright scholarship. <laughs> to the beach, to basically. The beach. <laughs> yes. And I was like, what have I done? And I remember like that moment of just like, Oh, this was a this fork in the road. Like right. I was either going to go to Oklahoma or California. My whole life, I wanted to go to California to play golf, and now I'm going here. So there was a moment of like, whew, right? Like, but am I doing the right thing? Yeah, but I at the time, like, there's no way that I, as a Smith, am going to say call the coach and like, hey, I went out of my letter of intent. I'm just not going to do it. And right. I wanted to play golf in college. That was the biggest deal. Academics mattered to me very little compared to. Being a college golfer, we've talked about that quite a bit through the years, like how much it means and how much you want to extend your playing career officially. Mm -hmm. And so that was my dream and my goal. So I got to school. This will lead into becoming a chaplain. How about that? I get to school and school was really hard for me. Not the academics part of it, but just being a college athlete. Um, for golfers, especially mm-hmm. when you hit, when you hit school, like you're already in qualifying week one, in fact, practice at snoo first day, you're going to qualify. Yeah. You teed up. I have been at the first day qualifying last eight years out at Heffner North where you have those guys hit the ball off the tee and they are maybe the most nervous they've ever been. I don't care if you've been in a yeah. state championship match, state championship match play, state match play. When you're qualifying in front of your peers, your teammates on the mm-hmm. first tee, it's so nerve wracking for everybody. I love it. I yeah. want to be there. Give me that moment. So I was really, really nervous to play golf. Um, and I had shot, I was shooting scores I hadn't shot since I was 16. Playing with SNU legends like Chris Jones and Jason Wood and Dave Gilbert and Tim Euler and uh, Derek Taylor, playing with all those guys. And here I was, just super small kid, you From know, trying way to compete. Yeah, trying to compete. I knew no one in town, I knew, yeah. I knew nobody. And it was really hard to, as a college athlete who golfs, you show up on campus, you go to school all morning, you try to grab a quick lunch, you golf all afternoon until dinner time. Yeah. You hope that you kind of make it back to the cafeteria in time to get food. Sometimes you miss. And then you're trying to figure out, okay, what do I do about relationships? What do I do about friendships? What do I do about dorm life? What do I do about homework? Mm-hmm. And so you've got all of those things in the evening. And I was someone who cared about grades and cared about the academic scholarship that I'd received as well. So I just constantly was doing homework. So it was yeah. school, golf, homework, bed, every day for all semester long. And I wasn't playing good golf at all. And it was really, really hard. Mm-hmm. Um, in fact, the, one of those formative moments in my relationship with my dad was I was sending him back scores, calling him on the phone with a calling card. You probably know what that means. Like we had to buy a card from Walgreens to like make a long distance call. Yeah, yeah, Yeah. exactly. And I was calling my mom and dad, but I was telling my dad, 
And I would tell him, you know, I shot this today, and the score was never what I'd hoped it would be. Mm-hmm. And he sent me an email, and he was like, hey, some sounds like you're having a hard time. Why don't you just not send scores home for a couple of weeks and just play your best and do your best and, you know, I love you for who you are and right. not because of what you shoot. Just and, take a little bit of pressure off. Oh, my gosh, yeah. I remember just sitting in my dorm room and just crying. I don't know if my mm. dad knows that. Like, just crying because I was like, oh, I needed the relief of yeah. that. So I didn't have anybody besides really Coach Taylor um, – I had a few friends and a few professors, but really it was DT on the golf team mm-hmm. that um, really kind of put his arm around me. And I, we went to nationals that year in Florida, and DT kind of he invited me on a, one of those little cruises around on the beach, and I had an incredible experience. Played a little bit of tennis with David Gilbert, and um, but DT was the one who was so special. So Derek Taylor has become. Um, eight and a half years ago, he became yeah. the head coach. It's crazy. It's that long. Yeah, at Southern oh, National University. <laughs> oh, now I'm now I'm one of those people. Yeah, like, now you're how an long old alum. Yeah. <laughs> and we both still think we can take on the kids too. Yeah, but that's part of the goal. Like yeah. I want to still beat them. And yeah. so I'm probably better now than I was when I was, probably the time I was better now. I'm 40. Just turned mm-hmm. 40 this last year. I was pretty good when I was 25. I was a plus three when I was 25. I was, I was trying to play in some of those mid-end stuff yeah. like that you're doing it now. You're playing it now. Um, but probably now I'm as better than I have been since I was 25 and I'm way better now than I was when I was 18. Man, age is not always bad on your golf game. (laughs) That's very true. (laughs) So Derek became the golf coach. Um, and I was so happy for him. DT and I have become friends and have been friends for 20 years now. Mm -hmm. And he was at Kicking Bird Golf Club, uh, up in Edmond and was one of the assistant pros there for like, I bet 10 to 12 years. And I would play at K-Bird because I love DT. Yeah. And so he'd give me lessons every once in a while and we just would hang out and just always loved his friendship. And so I called him to congratulate him. I said, what do you need? Like, what, can I help? And mm-hmm. essentially he said, I think you can. Like, and so I said, what, what if I was the chaplain? What if I was a, I pastored the church right across from Lake Hefner Golf Course, which was a course that the team's at a lot. Mm-hmm. And I said, I'm just not very far from when you're, when you're going to tee off, when you're going to come in. I think I could be essentially a spiritual advisor or a chaplain for the program. I don't think I can coach much, coach, but I sure can yeah. um, be a chaplain. And so every year at the beginning of the year, I have this big meeting with the women's team and the men's team, sometimes together, sometimes separate. And I just tell them, I'm not part of the school. Um, yeah. I'm not your RD. I'm not your coach. I am going to be your chaplain, and I'm a pastor just right across the street. And if you need to talk to someone in your life mm-hmm. about anything, like here's my cell phone number. Call me. If you have a problem with coach or with grades or with school or with addiction issues or you have a problem with a relationship, if you don't know how to talk to your coach or RA, and you're afraid at the culture of SNU that you're going to get in trouble or lose yeah. your scholarship if you're going to be honest, let me be someone who is outside of the university you can talk to. And at 16 semesters, there hasn't been a semester that someone hasn't sent me a text or sent me a phone call and said, hey, can we talk? Mm-hmm. And it is one of the greatest joys of my life. Um, obviously, I'm a full-time pastor and a full-time dad and a full-time spouse, but one of my favorite things in all of life is being the chaplain for the SNU men's and women's golf teams. Yeah. So, And what it's led to is some of the friendships that we've had. Right. Um, and I would say that your friendship has been one that has made like all of the – Hours and worry mm-hmm. and prayer has been, we're really close. I mean, yeah. we talk, I don't say every day, but almost every day that we're in conversation. Mm-hmm. And that's led to just me essentially just being there. And that's my goal is being a chaplain. I just want to be around, be present. If someone has a problem with anything, they yeah. can give me a call. Um, and there was a moment, can we get into this story? We can get into it, yeah. There was a moment in your relationship when I'm out gardening in my flower beds and uh, you give me a phone call. I remember it being on a Monday night. Yeah, it was someone like, Tom was in the car with me. And yeah. you asked the question, hey, what are you doing tomorrow night? I was like, nothing. And you said, hey, well, can you can you uh, marry me? Can you officiate my <laughs> wedding? And I was like, when? He's like, tomorrow night. Tomorrow night. And I was like, uh, uh, is your girlfriend pregnant? <laughs> and you go, no, 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 nothing like that. But yeah. my understanding of the story is that you told me I thought that I had to be engaged to stay in the States. Right. But it turns out I got to be married. Yeah. So I, some, I don't know if we've even had these conversations before. So I say, give me five minutes. Right. You burst out laughing first, <laughs> didn't you? Like, <laughs> like, I'll call you back. Because I had only met Taryn one time at your graduation party. Yeah. Um, out at your American mom and dad's house. The, mm-hmm. the, the, the bronze, bronze. Yeah. And it was just a brief encounter. And so I hang up the phone and I pray because I'm a pastor. Right. Mm-hmm. And I just think like, hmm, officiating the marriage of someone who 
um, probably aren't, isn't ready to get married. It's not something that a pastor really wants to do a lot. Right. And my, my thought was, well, I know Mike well enough to know that if he doesn't use me, he's probably just going to do like, yeah, uh, just get it done at the courthouse. Right. That, that was the plan. Yeah. Yeah. And so I think, okay, I would rather stay in Mike's life and have an opportunity to be an influence for him and with him yeah. than say no. Like, what's right here? Is it right being right or is it right to choose relationship? And I was like, I'm going to choose relationship in this moment right. because I love Mike. And we got to know one another really, really oh, well. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, over those four years, you play, three three years I was with you when you played before GTT. Uh-huh. Um, and so I, I uh, call you back and I was like, I'll do it, but you have to do your post-marital, pre-marital counseling with me, yeah. got to do a minimum of six sessions. And you were like, deal. Done, yeah. So um, that's when I think we really got to know one another because I go over to your um, in-law's house and I beat you there. I yeah. always wanted to get there super early. Yeah, I was late because I had to pick up. The ring was being adjusted or something. <laughs> and I'm in like Ed- Edmund in rush hour traffic, <laughs> like late to my own wedding at my in-law's house. So Taryn's getting ready. So I go to the kitchen and I yeah. ask Taryn's parents, okay, are you okay with this? And they were like, man, it's not ideal. But yeah, we're okay with it. We mm-hmm. love Mike, and, and we think that they're they're made yeah. for another. And they're, it helped that I'd asked them in like a month prior, oh, so they kind good. of knew. Okay, okay, yeah. that's good. So then Taryn's getting ready in her parents' master bedroom, and I go over there. You're not there yet. And I yeah. go into the master bedroom, and I say, "Tell tell Taryn, hey T, I didn't call her that time. That's what I call her now, Taryn." My name's Jason. You know, I'm the pastor. I'm ready to officiate this wedding. But Mike is a really persuasive guy. <laughs> He's really charming. Um, if you are doing this just because it's a green card wedding, right? Like, I don't, I'm, I don't want to do it. Let's just, there's a Chili's right over here. I'll take you to Chili's. We'll talk about Mike, but you don't have to do this. If right. you're only doing this because, but to me, covenant matters. And yeah, this can't be something that is just flippant. Like you have to go into this very seriously. Mm-hmm. And she looked at me like, like right in the eyes and she goes, I'm ready to get married with Mike Hearn. Yeah. And I was like, I'll do it then. And so we went out and I officiated your, your very first wedding yeah. in the, in the, right there in front of the fireplace of your in-laws home. It was super intimate, wasn't it? Oh, it was so sweet. Like, yeah. looking back now, like, your whole journey with T is in a love story that I'm glad I'm a part of. Um, I appreciate that. We appreciate that. No, because I, recently, I guess our anniversary was in February, and she posted, you know, I'm glad I didn't go to Chili's with you that day. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so glad, too. But, uh, like, I was super, I was ready to slip out the back door. In fact, right. There's a back door. Uh, yeah, there is. I said, yeah, hey, yeah. let's just you slip out this back know. door. Mike will not even yeah. know. You'll leave him at the altar. It'll be oh, fine. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And it was, uh, and like I said, we had like quite an extensive conversation about doing it and like, you know, it's not ideal, right? But we've been married three years. I think it's three. She's going to kill me if she's four. <laughs> um, yeah, it was, Feb- it was February 16, 2016. So it's four. Four years, yeah. It's mad, isn't it? Yeah, it really yeah. is. And then obviously we had the, the reason why I said you did both of our weddings because a year later... We had an official wedding, so Taryn could have her day and be in her dress and all that. And my parents were there, and that was, so was that was a good time too. Oh, it was incredible! You gave me that yeah. little tie tack that's with the whale's dragon, uh-huh. which is legendary. Yeah. Uh, so special. I mean, and that was really really special to see your friends and your family kind of come and kind of crown the day with their presence, right? And just the ways in which you guys have loved one another. I mean, still remember your reception with Berkeley dancing like the it's night so away funny. with both of you guys. Yeah. Um, for the pod listeners, Berkeley's my younger daughter yeah. uh, who loves to dance and loves How to be with you guys. How old is Four years ago, yeah. She yeah, was... she was three because she's seven yeah. and a half. Man. Which is crazy. Like, that's one of the best pictures of the wedding. Everyone's like standing up there because she loves to throw her hands in the air. As... And like there's like five of us around her with like our <laughs> hands in the air and just, just dancing to the beat of a three-year-old because that's what she wanted to do. Good times. So after you got married that first time, um, you started coming about every couple of weeks to my yeah. office to do counseling. And um, I think that um, counseling and therapy is really important. It's been important in my, my mm-hmm. life and my wife's life and our pastor's life. We really think that as far as going about faith here, therapy is a strength, not a weakness. Yeah. And so um, you started coming and we were going to do like four or five sessions. And then Taryn was like, can we meet more often? I think uh, we ended up doing like 10, right? Yes. We, we did I a think lot. 10 to 12. Yeah. And you just kept coming in every, uh, every couple of weeks. And that's when I really got to know you guys. And then from there, that's led to doing premarital counseling for a handful of other golfers. Um, and that's a joy. Right. Like, so much fun. Uh, it really lets me into your your lives in different ways. I'm doing mm-hmm. um, premarital counseling for one of, one of the current golfers. I'm not going to say who it is. Uh, but that's super fun for one of our GAs to be able to sit with me. And right. I think that over time, going back to the longevity piece, like having been the chaplain now for eight years, um, I feel like there is a sense of for former players and with current players, mm-hmm. 
um, essentially now every player that's come through is someone who's come through, been recruited by T and has, have, has had me as this kind of an assistant. Yeah. And coach has asked me to take the team on a tournament and be the sole, sole coach for the weekend um, for the girls or boys at least once a semester for eight years. Mm-hmm. And so he does ask me and presses me into that coaching situation. I'm much more comfortable in the in the chaplaincy role. I feel yeah. like if I can get the kids to the tournament and get them teed off, then I'm fine. Yeah. Uh, and all coach needs is receipts. That's <laughs> yes, all he needs exactly is bring right. me back some receipts so I know where I have to write off. <laughs> I, enjoy the, I enjoy those moments, but I would say I'm, I'm way more nervous coaching yeah. than I am as a chaplain. I or hate I am. coaching. It's so hard. Yeah. And I, my self-esteem rises and falls with what these 18-year-old players right. shoot on the golf course. Which like, is the coach, you're like, this is not what I should be doing. No, right this is now. not what I want to be doing. So I have to call coach every once in a while and just tell him, hey, just as a reminder, yeah. you can't let your self-worth or your esteem be tied to what 18-year-olds are shooting go- right. in the, in the, on the golf course. Yeah. So, oh, it's, man. I, I, I don't. I did coaching a couple of times with Tim. Uh-huh. I just don't enjoy it. I like this is harder to coach than it is to play for isn't sure. it because you have sure. all this stuff that you can't control and you just worry and I don't like worrying yeah. like so but I I like being there and I like being present I like playing with the kids um, I can't keep calling them kids but that's true I'm getting older yeah. now like I remember the first time we had a parent that was the same age as me uh, of one of the players and I just was like I'm <laughs> old enough to have a college player yeah. oh my goodness uh, yeah and then um, just to keep talking about our friendship in some ways, um, last summer, mm-hmm. one of my highlights of my relationship with you mm-hmm. is that my daughter, who is 12, um, she was 11 at the time, yeah. pretty good little golfer um, Very good and beautiful swing. And getting into that age where um, she's trying to gonna figure out, like, is she going to love golf? Is she not going to love golf? And I wanted to put her in an opportunity to play in a tournament. But she turned 12, yeah. and that's what that's when it bumped up to 18 holes. That's a lot for a kid. Oh, my goodness. Well, and it's like six hours of golf, yeah. too, <laughs> in the middle of the summer. <laughs> so um, we're at a point in our relationship where we're going together. I love moments with her, but I, th- I wonder if six hours with her dad was the best thing. Yeah. And I told her, and we've been out to the house a bunch of times through the years, mm-hmm. um, and you've had us over to your house for dinner many times. And I mentioned to her, hey, um, this 18-hole golf tournament's coming. We're only going to make you play nine holes of it. If you want to quit after nine, you can quit. Mm-hmm. But the, the catch would be, like, the kind of the bonus would be if you wanted to caddy. Um, Mike's offered to caddy for you for 18 holes for a 12-year-old girl in the middle of the summer yeah. for her first 18-hole tournament. I mean, I can't believe you said yes. Well, and also, I just kept reminding her of what you said she'd get at the yeah. end of it, too. It was like an, a game. What was, was it a game or a console? It was a game for like a, she had She'd saved up a bunch of money. That's for right. like Yeah. She never spends a dime. Like, if she earns money for a chore or a gift card or a birthday party Christmas, she kept, she kept it all. Yeah. And she started saving for a Nintendo Switch. And so we told her we could, we, I would buy her a Nintendo Switch game if she finished 18 holes with yeah. my caddying for. So she gets to nine and she was dragging. But what did you say? I said, we got, yeah, we're halfway there. Let's, we got nine to go. It's just, we, and we literally counted down. We said eight, seven, <laughs> we got six left, you know. And that made it go much faster. So you've got this, what, 27 year old guy caddying for a 12 year old girl. Yeah. And you're not an uncle. You're not, you know, mm-hmm. uh, you're not my brother. Yeah. Like, but you are a friend who's become like a brother in so many ways. Mm-hmm. And somebody that my little girl's going to trust to be with her for six hours and help her around the course. Yeah. And it was just like, to me, a magnificent moment. So we went to the Thunder game, what was mm-hmm. this, a couple weeks ago. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I'm sitting around, and, and she's like, hey, what are you doing tonight? And I was like, I'm going to Thunder game. She's like, oh, that's what you need a babysitter for? I was like, yeah. She's like, who are you going with? And I was like, oh, I'm going with, with Mike, with Mike and Taryn. I guess T even came along yeah. with us. And Mike and Taryn, she goes, oh, well, tell Mike I said hi. And I just busted out <laughs> laughing. I was just like, that's a very teenagerous thing to right. share. Like, And then it was a sweet moment. She goes, yeah, um, uh, oh, it was just me and you. She goes. So, oh, so, that's right. Because yeah. Katie couldn't go. That's yeah, right. She yeah, goes, yeah, yeah. Oh, so it's uh, Terrence home with the kids, and yeah. I was like busted out laughing. I was like, "Why? Why do you say that? You mean the dogs?" And she's like, "Yeah, yeah." yeah. I was like, "Well, when they came to church, they signed in on the friendship folder. They signed in the names of their dogs and their ages." Yeah. And I busted out laughing because it was just a familiarity with you and a friendship with you that my twelve-year-old has. Yeah. That was so special. So. Mm-hmm. The investment that I've made in you has been one of the greatest of my life and yeah. the way that you've given back. She did good that day too. Really good. Because there was a couple of times, it's over, you know, it's like 95 to 100 degrees. It's, you're out there with, you know, you're out there for over five hours and there's not much shade on the golf course. And it's just like, you know, it's so hard sometimes where you're hitting it literally 10 feet at a time. Yeah. And 
and I haven't coached her, right? So I haven't, like, I don't know what her kind of, like, cues are to, you know, hey, you need to do this, you need to move the ball back. And I'm just like, that was kind of, for a few holes, that was a little bit like, okay, like, it, that was mentally on her pretty tough. Yeah. And then you started to get a few balls in the air. And, you know, she's like crushes because you're very good hitting off the tee. She hit two or three drives and you like this smile comes up, right? And then we get to nine and then we saw you guys get up after nine. And, yeah, it's, I mean, the smile as well. After walking off 18, she's like, I get to get that game now. And she was <laughs> gone, right? I was like, all right, see you later. She was gone. It was well, so funny. One of the things about being around women golfers in college for eight years now is that um, – I just want my daughter to be able to do it on her own. Yeah. Like, so I showed up to watch nine and 10 and then 18. Mm -hmm. And I just was like, you know what? Um, we have parents who've never not seen a shot of their kid, boy or girl through the senior year of college. Yeah. And I get that. I, that level of devotion and parenting is wonderful, but there's something to me about grit and do it on your own and sticking with it without your parent watching you and learning without me around yeah. or without having to see if I'm happy or sad with you. Like, so we've, I've dropped her off at tournaments at K-Bird and was just like, okay, I'll see you at the end of the day. Yeah. Like, and I, that's, Cause you know, she's going to grow as a person mentally and all the stuff that she's going to go through. And golf is like the best sport that I think, I mean, I love it because of that as well as you, so you develop so much more as a kid yeah. by playing golf on your own or playing with other people, people that are older than you without your parents caddying for you, telling you what to do all this time. You don't, you don't get to think for yourself, do you? No. Like, so, and to me, Especially I grew, for a girl, too. I grew up at a muni where my dad, I think I was about 15, essentially was like, you can get a job or you can go to the golf course every day, but this summer you got a choice. Like, you can get a job and work, get money for the family and for you, or you can go work your butt off and try to get a golf scholarship. Yeah. And it was the easiest decision in the world. I was right. like, take me to the golf course. And they would drop me off. This is my memory. I'd be interested to see how my parents remember this. But my memory of it, the summer I was 15, was that my parents would drop me off in the morning with $5. Yeah. And $5 was enough to buy a $3 chicken strip meal for lunch and a Coke in the morning and a Coke in the afternoon. Like, that was my 5 bucks yeah. every day. And I'd play. I'd practice probably for three or four hours in the morning, eat lunch, play 18 in the afternoon, and then practice what I wanted to get better at afterwards. And they'd come pick me up at dinner time. And I got so much better that right. summer when the only thing I was doing was golfing. And I didn't have a coach. I didn't have a teacher. The pros would help me from time to time, but it was just me and my buddies just trying to get better yeah. and competing against my friends. And I look back and I, I see some of the parenting that I see today, which is like constant coaching, constant teaching. Um, helicopter parenting, a dad looking at the range, helping their daughter with mm -hmm. every swing, videoing every swing. And I'm just like, okay, I don't want to, I don't, I don't want yeah. that for my kid. And I want my kid to love golf for golf because right. I love the game so deeply. And I don't want to love it because her dad loves it. And that's going to be my journey the next handful of years. Yeah. Like, Cause I guess now she's going to be like, do I want to play? Obviously, you know, she's thinking about over the next five years, college. And do I want to play golf in college? And, and we you know, we all know this, that women golf is easier than men's golf to get a scholarship because there aren't that many good female golfers compared to good men golfers so there's that you know as a parent you're like do you want free school i really like you to have free school you know but also at the same time you want her to make that decision for you yeah, regardless wanna, of where I she goes i to love the game and i've watched enough snook women golfers when they get done with playing they're just like i don't want to play anymore yeah and to me the goal even financially would be uh I want her to play with me when she's 25. Right. Like that's my, if I have a goal for McCall, like it would be, can we love the game and want to be out with me when you're 25? And to me, if it means not playing college, not playing college golf and just playing recreationally, Great. that's a, that's a win. Cause yeah. I don't want her to feel like she has to do it for money or has to do it for a scholarship or has to do it for her dad. I want her at the bottom of my heart to love the game and want to play with me. So there was a tournament at a kit at a golf club. It was a team. It was a two man scramble. Yeah. And, um, you couldn't play, Lamb couldn't play, Brad couldn't play, like all my, my, my core golf buddies. And after about three or four calls, Katie was like, who are you going to take? And I was like, <clears throat> well, the person who I would love to play golf beyond my, my core buddies and you, right, are those my, like my guys, yeah. would be McCall. And she goes, well, why don't you play with McCall? And so we went and signed up for the two-man scramble, just me and McCall. And I shot one over. We got like middle of the pack. And I'm I am emotional guy. Like I'm on driving home on the golf cart, and I'm in tears. And I put my arm. I was like, "This is what I want for the rest of my life with you." Because she yeah. had fun. Yeah. Like, and I think the thing that helped was like I didn't take one picture of her. I didn't take one video of her because I didn't want anyone to say that ten year old girl held up pace of play in the tournament. Okay. So I was just like, "Hey, honey, we got to get around." 
Like yeah. if you don't hit a good shot, who cares? Like, let's just keep playing. But we used, of the 14 drives you can use, we used eight of her drives. Yeah. Because she got to play from the women's tees, and she bombs the she ball at 10. She does bomb it, yeah. And so here she's out driving me over half the time at this tournament, and that made her feel like I'm, right. I'm helping. And, I mean, I'm in tears on the way home just thinking, like, if this is what I get the rest of my life, playing two-person scrambles with my daughter, yeah. I'll be – I'll die a happy man if this is what I can get right. for her. That's so, such an awesome moment. Uh, does does uh, does Ber- Berkeley doesn't really share the golfing kind of? Yeah, she wants to play much. because Dad loves to play. Okay, but um, she's really artistic. She plays piano and violin. She's part of dance. She's a social and, and gymnastics, and she's a social person. Yeah, McCall's personality fits golf really well. She's disciplined and she's yeah, you know, okay being by herself, and she you know has a drive. Like she has head. a drive to yeah. be perfect, right? right. Berkeley wants to play because um, her sister plays and she sees the attaboys that she get that her sister gets. But by the time yeah. McCall was seven and a half, which is Berkeley's age, McCall was already right. competing and excellent. And um, I need to put Berkeley in some of those moments that you know we believe we, we live near a golf club of Edmond and practice out there quite a mm-hmm. bit. But um, the people at Cabird have been so incredible for our kids. Yeah, uh, Brian Sorensen's the head pro out there and just knows both of my girls' names and been so great. But um, through the years, Sydney Cox has been exceptional with McCall. Mm-hmm. Um, Terry Wiles has been incredible. Um, Jeff Klockenbach, I think is how you pronounce his last name, has been great up there. Jeff's not up there anymore, but Terry has been an incredible coach for McCall. And I need to put McCall and Berkeley into some of those situations. Yeah. My younger daughter to see if she would thrive. But um, it's kind of hard to, to be honest. In some ways, it's kind of vulnerable because I saw her sister at seven and a half was already just, just incredible right. golfer. Whereas Berkeley is socially is such a great friend and she loves gymnastics and violin and um, piano. So I think we're kind of more kind of pushing her towards the arts rather than the, the sports. Um, McCall could really do anything hand-eye coordination and be successful at it. So we'll see what she chooses as yeah. she grows up. I'm, I'm excited to see that too, to see how they, if I think the way that I've seen like just kids in the past and brothers and siblings in the past you always get one that has to really work hard at it and then you usually get one who's just a complete natural but doesn't enjoy it that much but they're just naturally good at it so then they have that natural competition because the one who really works hard for it the first time she gets beaten by someone who doesn't really it's like oh it's golf it's no big deal like that's that that would be fun to see them like and if it goes down that route because i can see berkeley being naturally good at it and just have just having so much fun yeah because she's not a perfectionist like her sister her sister right. doesn't have the fun that i want her to have because she wants to be perfect yeah and there's something about that competitive drive that makes me be like oh man you could be elite yeah uh, because you so deeply care about it yeah i knew we would talk about golf oh we i mean you have to <laughs> um so we were talking about you know that's how you came to us and you was golf but how do you get to being a pastor from that yeah good question thanks let's go back to um feeling alone um, when I was alone that freshman year, the I had a relationship with Christ. Um, mm-hmm. I've, I was a Christian, um, had an incredible parental home and church home in Ontario, First Church of the Nazarene, incredible pastors and great youth pastors and um, wanted to follow Jesus. And it was during that freshman year that I began to, and really in my alone time and quiet time, um, just needed it because mm-hmm. I was so alone and so lonely. And so I think that my, my closest friend became Jesus. Yeah. Um, and it was during some of those times that I felt, um, I began to feel a deep call to be a pastor, to become a minister. Um, and there was, um, there was one particular moment that I feel like God touched me in a way that I was like, yeah, this is what, this is how, who I've made you to be. And mm-hmm. know that you think you want to be a golfer. Um, but I think that, I created you to be a pastor and um, explored that call um, in quiet times and at church services, explored what it would mean for me to be a golfer. I wish there was a chaplain like me that existed when I was there. Right. Because it was during that time that I felt like I had to make a choice between golf and ministry. Mm-hmm. And I'd made that choice. And I, I called coach in the summer after the national championships in Florida and um, said, I'm quitting golf and I'm going to become a pastor. And um, I probably should talk to Coach about this because I'm sure at some point he was like, wait, 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 you can do both, right? But I felt like, no, I need to make a sacrifice because the only thing I've cared about my my whole life is golf. So I'm going to lay my clubs down. I laid them down for a year, didn't touch them. Yeah. It was a sacrifice. I was kind of an exuberant person. um, Going all in on it. Yeah. Yeah. And I was like, this is what I want to be. And so at the time, 
at the time at Southern Nazarene University, there was an internship, ministerial internship program that I was able to enter into a little bit late yeah. as a sophomore. And um, that was able to kind of help over the course of the next three years recoup some of the money that was lost for a golf scholarship. And started training to be a pastor, taking those classes. And it was those classes, especially from some of my professors like Steve Green, Scott Daniels, and Marty Michelson that kind of shaped and formed me into who I was becoming as a pastor, as a minister, someone right. to how to think about God, how to talk about God, how to pastor. And then my senior year, um, Katie and I, my wife, we got married, um, started dating my sophomore year, and then got engaged for my junior year. And then we got married between my junior and senior year, yeah. the year that she went to medical school. And you met at SNU. We met at SNU. Yeah. Um, she was, um, at the time, dating one of my friends, and we just w- were able to, I think because of that, enter into a pretty close friendship and relationship, and just loved her. Just thought she was the neatest person to talk to, and she was so fun and spunky and mm-hmm. beautiful, and I just thought, this girl's amazing. And um, this will date Katie and I. Um, she started not um, hanging out with him as much, and they broke up over over a summer. We started writing letters, like actual snail mail letters, right. back and forth that summer. And then when she came to school, back we both came back to school. I went home to Oregon. When we both came back to school, we kind of started dating yeah. that, that year, that fall. And then one year dating, one year of engagement, and then we got married. Um, right. And, and then she's she went a, off to medical school. She was in medical school the first year that we were married. Uh, so we got married and she went to med school. I remember the moment she got accepted into medical school. I can remember right where we were. She kind of ran across campus right in front of Snow Park dorm, and I lifted her up and was super pumped and gave right. her a big hug, and she got into, med- got into med school. That was that was her dream to be a physician, and now she's been a doctor. She's a, a physician down at OU Medical Center as an OBGYN, and she's right. the section chief of the of the OBs in the hospital, and she's also the assistant dean of medical student, af- student affairs at the University of Oklahoma Medical School. So, and wasn't that first female right was what was there was quite yeah, a big deal about that i was so, i'm just so proud of her yeah you know, like she um she's the from my understanding she's would be the youngest dean on campus and gotcha. therefore the youngest female dean she probably won't me to fact fact check this but i don't care i'm so proud of her like yeah. she's she's an incredible and really means a lot to the campus and she cares about women's women's health deeply and um, now she gets a chance to be work with young work. She, she does a lot of some of the similar things that I do. She works with young physicians. Mm-hmm. She works with residents and medical students. She kind of organizes the physicians. She's going to be the one who I think does a great job of being both compassion and in charge. Um, and right. so she's going to be able to, in the, in this new role as the assistant Dean for student affairs for the medical school and on the campus of OU medical school in Oklahoma city, there are 520 medical students, so 160 in each class. And she would be, in some ways, the role that I play for young pastors, and I play, play at our church, to be an advocate, to be someone to, to listen to, someone mm-hmm. to have conversations with, someone to explore their future. She gets to do that with some of the medical students, yeah. which is really cool. That's fun. You can bounce that stuff back between each other, because oh, the similar experiences that you yes. have. Yes. Recently, I've had a particular experience, great experience, with a young golfer. And I've gone to her and I said, okay, how would you handle this if this was a medical student? Right. And that was super helpful for her to be able to help me in a situation that I had not been in before. Mm-hmm. And she was like, well, this is what we would do. And I was like, oh, that's great. And of course, I mean, my wife is Makes brilliant and yeah. so smart and doing it on a much larger scale than I am. Uh, so we, we fell in love, um, got married in the process of me trying to figure out my call in ministry. Yeah. And then we got married. Um, and then I started here at OKC First Church as an intern for my senior year. Um, under the ministry of Dr. Steve Green, who was our pastor at the time. And um, I, I Wasn't loved, he a professor at SNU? Yes. He was, he was full-time at SNU and full-time here. Yeah. So he did that for many years. And then after the first six years of me being together with him, I think that in some ways he was like, I can't do both of these things and yeah. do them both well. One of the ways I think he was able to do that was because he hired me to be his partner in ministry to do a lot of the homebound care all of our care to the people who are having surgeries, people who are sick. Um, And that was my job for those first, like, three years after I was an intern. I just came on. I was his graduate assistant at the school to get Mm -hmm. my master's degree. And essentially he was like, because I'm teaching full-time, I can't take on the role of pastor with pastoral care. So that's going to be – you're going to do that. And so for the first few years, that's all I did. And I loved it. I didn't know what I was doing, but I wanted to work for him. I wanted to work here. And when he offered me the position – and in the Church of the Nazarene, we don't say we we offer them a job. We extend a call. Mm -hmm. Um, Hey, would you be willing to to move into this role as pastor? 
And I said, yes, I got paid 10 grand a year um, yeah. for those first two years finishing my master's degree. But Mike, this is a, my favorite part of my story. I know what I tell, tell a lot of young people. I wanted to work for Steve. I wanted to work here. And so anytime anybody complained about anything, I raised my hand in the staff and said, oh, I'll do that. Yeah. Like to the point of like things that were so ridiculously not for someone who was getting paid the least amount and the least involved. I think I worked more hours my first two years when I was supposed to be working about 10 hours a week. I think I was working more like 60 because I was like, if I can make myself indispensable, if I can make sure that when I'm done with this two years yeah. of this small call to be pastoral care, if, if that, at the end of those two years, they will look around and be like, well, we can't fire that guy. We can't let that guy go. Who does, does, does too much stuff? Because he does everything for us. That was yeah. my goal. Like, I yeah. want to, I love these people. I love this pastor. I love my pastoral team. And so I just did as much as I could, take, took on as much responsibility as I possibly could. Yeah. And then over time, I don't think I was full time here until I was 25 because I just was like, I didn't want to let go. And then right. finally they moved me into a role that didn't even exist, but because I think that, um, the church had grown to love me and I had grown to love the church. It was just like, yeah, oh, this is what makes sense. What was that first time preaching like? I preached on Jonah on yeah. Sunday night. I wore a blue and red tie. I'm 21 years old. Mike, I'm 40. I remember everything about it. Yeah. I read my sermon. Uh-huh. Um, I was so nervous. I scripted it out. Um, I was shaky. Um, at our church in particular, a lot of our mentors and a lot of our pastors and a lot of our professors come. So like our senior pastor, John Middendorf, who I love and adore, and we've been really, really close for these 18 and a half years. He looks out and he sees his major theological um, teacher in Steve Green. He sees his Old Testament professor in Dr. Bratcher and his New Testament professor in Dr. Dr. Tashton. Yeah. So he's preaching. To the to, people that talk. <laughs> yes. But he's so good about if it's a New Testament passage, he'll sit down with Dr. Tashton and say, hey, yeah. tell me what you're hearing about this. And he's taught me that he's not just up there trying to impress them. He's a collaborator with them. So even in my passage this week when I preached, mm-hmm. I reached out to my Old Testament professor, Marty Michaelson, and said, hey, what are you hearing about this passage? I reached out to Dr. Tashton, and he went me through, he yeah. helped me through the, the New Testament passage. And then I called Steve Green, my mentor, and said, hey, what do you hear? What are you hearing from this passage? And then I... You know, you read and you listen to podcasts and you read books and you sit and pray and you kind of collaborate it all. But that first sermon was from Jonah and it was actually Jonah too, the psalm and the kind of the song in the middle of Jonah. Mm -hmm. Jonah's a little book of four chapters. It's a beautiful story. Actually, one of my favorites in all of scripture. Um, And I just remember getting done and just being like, First off, most people in our, our tradition don't hear sermons read to them. Right. But I was so afraid to make a mistake. I didn't want to say a wrong word. Does that make sense? Yeah. So going back to maybe even how I think about golf and how McCall thinks about golf, like you just don't want to mess up. And that's how I was in the preaching moment. Right. And my first few were red. And then I had a friend named Brett come up to me and he was like, I don't, I don't know. This is what I heard. I don't know what he said, but what I heard was, hey, it's super boring listening to you read these sermons, loosen up a little bit, practice and figure it out. Because yeah. my mentor, Steve and John, they um, don't script their sermons. Mm-hmm. Um, they kind of have a flow and they practice it and they just preach essentially from their preparation, but they preach from their heart. Like it's not like, um, it's not scripted. Some of my friends script their sermons and it makes a lot of sense because it is safer. I said some things yesterday that if I could go back, I would have said it a little bit differently. Right. But in, in how we do it at this local church is, I think our people want to hear from our heart. Like they want to hear our passion and they want to hear how we would experience this in some ways different than just a script. Right. That's a, that's a, I've never had some good question, Mike. Yeah. Yeah, that's Jonah 2. I read it and I sweat the whole time. <laughs> <laughs> And then you go to like yesterday's, you know, yesterday's, how long were you up there for? Was it 30, 45 minutes? Yeah, it's probably 35. Yeah. Yeah. Longer um, than I should have gone. I tried to try to, I usually want to preach about 25 minutes, yeah. but I got going yesterday. Well, and well, for someone sitting in the audience, like it doesn't feel like it's that long because you're enjoying it. Like it's, it feels like forever when you sat there and just like, does it end, you know? <laughs> but yesterday I'm just sat there, I'm like, I don't know how long like, this is. I'm really enjoying this. And I see your passion and I see you move around. And I see you call out the golf team and you call out other people that are in the stories. And it brings it like down to the to ground level, doesn't it? It's not like you're just Thanks, talking Mike. to everyone there. You're, talk, you're actually talking to the people and relating it all to them and, you know, having the golf team stand up and having calling out other people that, that are related to the seven year story was really cool. And I know Taryn loved it as well. Oh, and when we walked out, Taryn was like, I just love how passionate he is. And I know it. I, I've seen you speak a bunch of times, and Taryn's like, you know, starting to 
well, we've known each other for a long time now, but she hasn't seen you speak as much as I have yeah. or been around the golf team. And I know how passionate you are talking about <laughs> golf and you're equally as passionate on stage, right? Which is, you know, which is pretty awesome. But that whole process of you learning to become that passionate and be very free on stage from that moment of just reading Jonah from a script, like yeah. word for word, yeah. how, like that's, I mean, it's taken you, what did you say, 18 years, the whole process? Yeah, and I love talking about this because for me it's about virtue ethics, but it's yeah. also about you're being shaped and formed into the person you are by your habits and practices. And so I really like talking about faith because of my golf background. Mm -hmm. Like, you've become my golf coach these last few years, right? Like, I told you, what, three years ago I wanted to be better, and you're like, okay, let's get better. Let's start yeah. with a short game. So you're trying to teach me to hit these different types of pitches, especially working on my game from 50 to 70 yards, um, and then getting better out with my wedges. And for me, and you're an elite golfer, you don't talk about on the pot as much of how an elite of a right. golfer you are. I need to play I mean, a lot more. You are, you're an elite. I mean, you won the U.S. Mid-Am qualifier here in Oklahoma and competed in the national championship mm -hmm. for Mid-Am golfers, which is such a small percentage of elite golfers in the world to be able to get to that place. And when you were in school, I'm sorry, this is a little bit of a resume. I'll get to my point. <laughs> your junior year, you won six times your junior year at yeah. SNU. And the only tournament you finished outside the top 12 was the tournament that I coached you <laughs> I hated at, that at golf territory. <laughs> and it was a miserable oh, day. Oh, it was such a bad way. Um, and so, and then your senior year, um, you play in all the events. You never finished outside the top five. You finish um, at a way to be able to compete both at a conference mm -hmm. and regionals and national championship at every level, never finishing outside the top five. You've done that because you have natural talent and giftings. But you practiced in ways to be able to get you to that level. And even right. now, you know that if you're not playing well, it's because you're not practicing, right? Like you're yeah. not an elite golfer in February because you don't play a lot of golf in December and January, right? And so yeah. it'll pick up in the next few months and you'll be able to be a much better player because you're practicing. Mm -hmm. Well, as a person of faith, as a pastor, for me, it's the same corollaries. Like yeah. I am becoming who I am as a pastor because I spend time with Jesus, I pray, I read scripture, I give myself to the practices of faith. Mm -hmm. I care about those who are people who are on the margins. I care about, I mean, every week, Mike, I am in a nursing home. Every week of my life for 18 years, I've gone to a nursing home and I've held someone's hand and I've told them that God loves them. Yeah. That's changed who I am. Like I think about death all the time because I've done 117 funerals. And I'm. it's a natural thing for me to go and hold the hand of someone as they're, as they're dying because I've done it 100 and, 110 right. times. It's almost a gift. Right, a gift like not not that you have a gift, but a gift of like being in that moment and being given that opportunity oh, for that yes. person of like the last moments of their life. Oh yes, the greatest like, the, the greatest, greatest honor of my life. Right, like I'm inside of this holy moment. Yeah, I I talk about thin places a lot, where I believe that heaven and earth meet in a way where something special happens, and yeah. that can be like when you get chills, um, when something special happens, um, from the smallest thing to the biggest thing, like a wedding. Right. right. Or a moment like when you covenant yourself with tea. Right. Like I think that's a holy moment. Like right. when a baby's born. Right. When someone gets baptized. Um, this is going to be a little bit silly. You can cut this from the pot if you want. <laughs> but um, like this is silly. Like, um, but you know how much I love golf. Like so shaped sure. and for me. So like when Tiger chips in on 16. Everyone knows Masters, where they are. Yeah. Like you where know where you are, yeah. but you know how it looks, you know how it feels, you know that last rotation when the Nike logo yeah, sits there for like a second yeah. and it falls into the cup and everyone goes crazy and everybody And you know exactly what the commentator is saying. Yes. You just like yeah. that's a holy moment. Like there's a chill moment, right? Like right. pastors get invited into the best and worst moments of every person's life in the congregation. And the interesting thing about being at one place for eighteen years is that now when kids graduate, mm -hmm. I was there praying for them with their parents when they were born. Yeah, Pastors show up at all the biggest moments of their life. And so this year when those kids get up there to graduate, I'll be like, oh, I, I, I prayed for them. I prayed for them the day they were born. I prayed for them the day after they were born. I've been through this family, through thick and through thin. Mm -hmm. And it's a different, I think I'm the only pastor from my graduating class that's been in the same church since they graduated. Um, it's something unique in our tradition um, that I've been in one place, but um, my job now is just to love the church yeah. and to love the people. And well, and you've had, I, you know, like I said, we've been friends for long enough, and I know you've had job offers for a lot more money in all over the country. Yeah. And every time you're like, 
sorry guys yeah, I, I just talk, love I what I do about those you know <laughs> it's just like I'm sorry like I just and that's that's you know that's one of the reasons why you're still here is because you love doing what you do and you love the people that you've been a part of for 18 years but but let's get back to Katie there for a moment though yeah. right like a lot of my pastor friends would be pressed into the ability to say hey I do think I need to um, move along because um, of pay structure right yeah. and Katie has essentially said it's incredible like um, Katie is a physician who makes a lot more money than I do and I'm very comfortable with that and I'm comfortable with my role in mm-hmm. raising our family and kind of keeping our home in some ways um, but Katie's never pressed me to say hey I think you need to grow or elevate your profile or your career or your finances in ways. So just get to love the church. So the gift that Katie's been for me is not just the spouse that she is and the love that we have for one another and the family we get to raise, but um, that we get to do that within a particular faith context. Because I I think, I don't know, I don't want to say that because you never know what the future holds. But as of right now, like McCall at 12 has had one vision Mm-hmm. and one senior pastor and one children's pastor and one associate pastor of a vision of who God is and what we expect of her in the Christian life. And mm-hmm. to me, the message of grace is one that is given here, I think, so beautifully and so freely. Because faith is can be squirrely some places, Mike. Like, you know that. Like, yeah. you've been in the States long enough to know that different people will believe different things. And I think we land into the gospel of grace, that God loves you. He is there for you. He is with you. He, The, the love and grace of God, I think, preached here is something that I want my kids to be able to right. always. That's why I want UNT here. That's why I want the golf team here. And what a yeah. gift Coach DT was to surprise me by bringing the golf team yesterday. Yeah. And I, it honestly made me way more nervous. Because I was really? like, well, because I know not everyone goes to church and not everyone right. can believe, right? And so they're out there and I'm like, oh, I thought this, this message was going to be... This is your one moment to get them to retain, you know, like to retain them to come back next week. <laughs> in some ways, like, I do, I want people, because I believe in, because I believe in the vision from scripture and the church that I've been given mm-hmm. and that I want to lead and preach about how much God loves you and how much God has grace for you. And oftentimes I don't, I wonder if the church is known for love and grace. I think sometimes right. it's not always been known. Yeah. For, we don't we don't lead with grace. I say that to the SNU students every year. Mm-hmm. I think when they come to SNU for the first time, they're given a set of rules and they're not given a God of grace. Yeah. And I want to be like, to me, following after the ethics and virtues of the kingdom is because you've got a vision of how much God loves you. And then as a response to that grace, you fall after these rules. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but we give them rules and no grace and love. And yeah. we're like, expect them to want to become believers. And I'm like, man, we're off on the wrong foot immediately. Yeah. Because if you even any relationship with T, like if you were to come and you're like, here's the rules, not like let's fall in love. Sign this. Yes. Yeah. Like, we're, like you're not going to get there. And so here, I think the message of grace is so important. But Mike, when our relationship, you're not going to... Um, respond to me because I preach. You're going to respond to me because we're friends. Right. Like, and so the moment was important, the preaching moment, but I was like, oh, those kids are not going to respond to this sermon. They're going to respond because over the course of eight years, we're going to become friends in ways that they trust. They're very familiar with you. Yeah. Yeah. And so I don't think I'm ever, because I don't speak every week in in any context, I think that the way that I am going to change the world that is God has given in front of me, it's because I'm going to love people and right. and be in a relationship with them and be for, there for them in hard times. The yeah. best thing about being a chaplain is I'm not responsible. I'm not their pastor. I'm not their RA. I'm not their coach. I don't care about their grades, scores, or ethics. Mm-hmm. What I care about, can I be the presence of God with you when you need him the most? Mm-hmm. Um, and that to me is the best part of being a chaplain is like, I get to be there. So yeah, I don't, we've talked a long time. I forgot your initial question. Well, I, <laughs> and I think just from preaching on stage, I know you don't do it very often, but at the same time you have, I think you have more of an impact by not doing it very often because every day you get to go sit with someone who maybe having has cancer or you get to sit with a college kid who doesn't know what, where their life's going and they're 18 years old and they're like, think they should have it figured all out. You have that more of an intimate connection with all these people rather than standing in front of two, 300 people on a Sunday for 45 minutes. Yeah. Like it's more connection in this. And that's why, I think that's why we've been, uh, you know, really good friends and continue to be friends. And that's why when you do text me like on a Friday, hey, I'm speaking Sunday, then whatever I have Sunday is now <laughs> coming to see you speak. And, and I text Tara and I was like, we don't have anything Sunday, do we? <laughs> it's like, by the way, we do now. We're going to watch, you know. So she knows as well. That's beautiful. Yeah. Um, yeah, I'm really grateful for that and those relationships. Yeah, like essentially um, my job's different than anybody that I know. Like um, I don't keep 
office hours here, like doing paperwork. Right. Like my job is going from home to home to nursing home to nursing home to lunch to coffee. And most of them are people who are, you don't call your pastor when you're like, everything's great and you have extra money to give to the church. Like right. that's one of my favorite jokes yeah. from Jeremy Lamb. He's like, he'll slide up to me like, hey, Pastor, everything's going great. Here's an extra 10, 10 grand. Like, <laughs> and then he'll just laugh and he'll be like, no one does that. Like they're yeah. like, hey, lost my job. Hey, life's hard. Hey, right. marriage is hard. Hey, I'm going to lose my life to cancer. Yeah. Um, hey, I, I have Parkinson's disease now. Oh, this weight. Yeah. Like, but to me, like, there's no bigger gift of being able to walk with people through in those hard mm-hmm. times. And then you sprinkle in some good times. Nothing better than going to praying for a new baby, right? Yeah. Nothing better than doing a, a covenantal marriage ceremony. For me, I really, really enjoy doing funerals. I think, I don't know how many pastors do. I fact, some of my friends really do as well because yeah. what's more meaningful than sitting with a family and telling them because of the hope and promise of the resurrection, this can be a really sad time, but it also can be a hope-filled time. Mm-hmm. Um, and sitting with them as they have the time to process God's presence in their life in different ways. Um, recently, we had a, a man, a young man in his 50s, pass away here, and the church has been really impacted by it because he impacted everybody. He was one of our most incredible members. And I said yesterday in the service as it started, if you've had a baby in this church the last 15 years, it's been rocked in the nursery by this man. Yeah. Like, and it's, he's impacted everybody, even if he didn't know he was impacting them. And that's another thing, going back to the longevity thing. The biggest gift to me has been, um, I love the church. And they've watched me grow up. They That was here when I was 21 years old, right? right? And now I'm 40. And I think some of them still think of me as a kid. Uh, but um, in some ways, I still am a kid. Like, I've got a long way to learn, a long way to go. And going back to golf and habits and practices, like getting from the Jonah sermon to yesterday mm-hmm. um, has been holding hand after holding hand after practicing. And right. I teach a Sunday school class every Sunday. I teach a Wednesday night Bible study every Wednesday. My pastor told me 10 years ago, like, you'll find your voice, which I think that's something that he said to a lot of people is like, you're not sure what you're going to say, so you script it out. But over time, God will give you a passion for what he wants you to have a passion mm-hmm. for. And I would say through the years, the thing that would um, characterize me, if people were to say, if you were to take this microphone and be like, hey, tell me about Jason. Right? Yeah. I think passion and enthusiasm would be like two of the biggest oh, yeah. words that would define me beyond, I don't know what the other one would be, um, maybe compassion, like, because people having seen me been in nursing homes so much, and I'm really right. comfortable in nursing homes. I, I can walk into a nursing home and feel like I'm at home and walk to the right room and hold someone's hand and, and just yeah. love that moment. Like, and in some ways now, after these many years, like the people who are homebound now, I usually have had a relationship with them for a long time. So... Um, I think to me, it goes back to habits and practices, whether it be golf or faith. Mm-hmm. Like, am I practicing the right things to get to the point where there's a tell-off or an end game of whether it be a low handicap or for you a plus handicap mm-hmm. or for you, you know, qualifying for the mid-M again this year? For me, it's have I practiced myself as a person of faith to know God in scripture, to know God in prayer, to know God in the other? When I hold someone's hand, I feel like I'm holding the very hand of Jesus. Yeah. Like, I get to minister as a minister of the gospel to hold someone's hand and tell them. I, there's a man named Jerry Bell who passed away about two years ago. And I went on a sabbatical at church and spent the summer away from the church and just to kind of just kind of yeah. recharge my batteries. And the church gave me that incredible gift. And I, I came back after those, those, um, those seven weeks off and sat down and kneeled down in front of Jerry Bell, who I'd missed so much. And I said, Jerry, like, Jerry. God loves you. Mm-hmm. You can't forget it. God loves you so much. He's forgiven you. He is with you. He is for you. And he looked at me with tears in his eyes. He's like, Jason, you've got the, you've got the, you've got the best job in the world. Yeah. Like your job is to go tell people that God loves them. And I need to hear it. And here he is about to pass away. And he's like, I forget that God loves me. Yeah. And I think that's that message of love and grace is something that I get to share every week, not from a microphone, you know, in front of a few hundred people. Right, just that one-two connection. Yeah, exactly. Very special. Yeah, so so sweet. That's awesome. Yeah. I love seeing you, and I love hearing you talk about your passion. It's awesome, even though it's not, you know, as well as golf, because we talk about golf all the time. (laughs) Um, But no, it's good to see you, like, you know, have this connection with you and yeah. finally do this and have it, I guess, on record and camera That's and all the rest of it. Very special, Mike. Um, yeah, I really appreciate your time. Thanks, I know man. you're a very busy man. Are you going to go to lunch and, and go help someone or do do what you do? So 
we'll cut it at that. Um, everyone listening, I'll post Jason's contact information down below. It won't be a cell number. It'll probably be a social media handles. <laughs> Good. Uh, and yeah, if you uh, if you want to get some golf in, let's play golf. So thanks, Mike. Pleasure. Appreciate your time. Thanks for listening, guys. We will catch you next episode. Cheers. This podcast was presented by the Oklahoma Hall of Fame, who've been telling Oklahoma's story through its people since 1927. Follow them online at oklahomahof.com and definitely on Instagram at oklahomahof. Catch you next episode. Cheers. Thank you for listening. We are inspired by those around us and hope that you are too. Make sure you subscribe to this podcast on your favorite podcast platform and leave us a review so we can keep telling your stories. For more great Oklahoma content, follow This Is Oklahoma on Facebook and Instagram.